All right, well, we're going to back up a little bit, and uh, we won't spend too much time. I've got the wrong one out. Too much time um, talking about uh, some of the verses that we are recovering today, but we're going to start uh, and work our way through Genesis chapter 31. So if you want to turn there, it's 55 verses long, so it's a little bit of reading, but we covered the first section of that to some level of detail last week, so we'll be able to move through that um, a little more briskly. <clears throat> so let's see if we can remember where we were last time. Jacob had um, made an agreement with Laban, his father-in-law, that uh, he would continue on after the 14 years were completed, that he had agreed to work in response for being granted Rebecca and Leah as his wives. And, <clears throat> of course, we remember if we go back that far, he never had any intention of two wives. He was working for, planning for Rachel. But Laban kind of slipped in a surprise maneuver. <clears throat> he wound up having to work 14 years and acquired both as wives. Um, and Jacob then reached a point where that was done, and he said, it's time that I was taking care of my family and putting together our existence. And um, you could read that in a way to understand earning our stuff, building our foundations, creating an opportunity to have our own possessions and not just be your servant all the time. And so they made an agreement where Jacob would get the miscolored offspring, and the way the agreement sounds, <clears throat> it is even supposed to get the existing miscolored animals, but Laban quickly separated them off. So <clears throat> he's had some experience dealing with a father-in-law that was very good at looking out for father-in-law's interests as he perceived them and ways to meet them. But God greatly prospered Jacob. Uh, words in the scripture are exceedingly. He had large flocks, servants, camels, and donkeys. So he had built up a pretty good-sized um, concern financially for himself. He had a foundation, had a business going that was his own. And there were some other things we talked about last week. But let's, this week, let's read Genesis chapter 31. It's 55 verses long, so that might be a bit long for one person to read. But if somebody would get us started, you can stop and somebody else will pick it up. So I would appreciate it if you would get us going. flock was and said to them I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before but the God of my father has been with me you know that I have served your father with all my strength yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times but God did not prevent him to harm me if he said the spotted shall be your wages then all the flock bore spotted and if he said the striped shall be your wages then all the flock bore striped Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats had, that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of the Lord said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not by him as foreigners? For he has sold us 
and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has get, has all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan and his, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone uh, to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had, and arose and crossed the Euphrates, and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him, and pursued him for seven days, and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night, and said to him, Be careful, do not say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that, that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives by the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and song and with tambourine and lyre? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? You have done foolishly. It is in my power it is in my power to do harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob didn't know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and, and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he didn't find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but he didn't find them. And she said to her father, let, my, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but didn't find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. Um, what have you found of your household gods? Goods. Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between the two of us. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by the wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen day by day or by night. There I was. By, the day, by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in house. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these daughters or for these children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob set a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they gathered stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar 
Shahadutha. Yep. But Jacob called it Gilead. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Gilead. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Kind of a long chapter. Thank you for reading that. And it's kind of a long event. It was not an easy thing for Jacob to become separated from Laban. So let's go back and work our way through this. I'll try to move a little quickly through these first few verses that we've talked about before. But in verses 1 and 2, Laban's sons are jealous and accusatory. They're looking at Jacob and how he's prospered in these flocks and built them up. And he says, he's got what should belong to my father. Now, were they really worried about their father? Well, maybe, but they're really looking at, this is our household. They're looking probably at their own inheritance and their own well-being and their financial future, and they're not happy about it, and neither is Laban, and he's not showing the same kind of favor toward Jacob that he once did. Now, why do you suppose he's not showing favor toward Jacob? Yeah, he's gaining and... Laban kept Jacob for a reason, a very clear reason. He said, I see God prospers you. Whatever you do, I'm gaining because of your presence. So I want to keep gaining, so stay here and work, and I'll give you wages. And Jacob offered this deal about the miscolored ones, and Laban took it, thinking it's going to really be a windfall for him in some fashion. And, of course, that really isn't happening. So here's Jacob observing this. He calls Rachel and Leah out to the flock in the field. In other words, they had a family meeting where they didn't have to worry about anybody that they didn't want hearing it to hear it. So they were separated off, and he talks to them about the attitude of the father changing. Uh, he says, but the God of my father has been with me, meaning that uh, he was prospering despite Laban's change in attitude. And he says, you know that I served your father with all my strength. I put my all into it, yet your father cheated me. He changed the wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. And he says that Laban said, if the spe- when he made the changes, if the speckle to your wages, then Jacob, who had used his knowledge of animal husbandry, of genetic breeding and so on, was certainly doing his part, but if if they had to be spotted, then Jacob said God saw that all the offspring were spotted. If the deal changed, they had to be striped, then God saw to it that they were striped. Uh, Thus God has taken your father's livestock and given them to me. Jacob is looking at it and stating to his wives that God has moved what would have been in their um, ancestral home through their father moved a lot of that wealth in Jacob's direction. And he goes on to tell him about the dream he had that he had when the flock were mating and the male goats were speckled, striped, and mottled. And in that dream, the angel of the God said to me, Jacob. And he responded, here I am. And the angel then says, look up, see that all the male goats mating are striped, speckled, or mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing. So in the dream, Jacob is told that a part of the reason that God is doing this, at least a part, is that Laban's trying to take advantage of him, and God is not allowing that to occur. 
And in this dream, this angel identifies, um, I'm going to say himself, I'm not sure about, uh, certainly not herself, but there's a, identifies uh, their own uh, identity as being the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar. You remember what happened at Bethel with Jacob? Anybody got that little bit of information tucked Did he away? Have a dream where the angels were ascending and descending. Yes, this is the dream Jacob has on his way to um, the eastern part of the area there to where he will wind up at Laban's house and gain his wives. Uh, but but in that dream, God showed him uh, uh, some things about what was coming, and that Jacob made a vow, and it was a dream about God blessing Jacob, and that God would indeed even bring him back to his own country. And so in this um, vision that, that Jacob is having there right before he leaves, He's given a command, now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Go home, go back to the area that you came out of as a child of Isaac, who was a child of Abraham, and you are the child of the promise to the land that is promised. And we get then Rachel and Leah's response beginning in verse 14. We don't know which one or both or how this conversation uh, is made, but the statement, the assertion is that do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? This is a rhetorical question, and the answer that is assumed is what? No. Uh, are we not reckoned to him as foreigners? This has a rhetorical with yes. He's really not treating us like members of his household anymore. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> in verse 15, he has sold us. And the deal, this was the deal for them as brides to Jacob. But they go on to say, it isn't like he took that price, that work of, that Jacob did for those 14 years and made the most out of it. They basically say he's consumed it. In other words, he was selfish. It was for himself that he did that. He wasn't thinking of us or the rest of the family. He was out here being selfish and has entirely consumed our purchase price. And so they go on to say in verse 16, Surely all of the wealth which God has taken from our Father belongs to us. They're looking at this and believing they should have had some benefit for this deal that Laban made with Jacob. Probably thinking of both cases, but certainly when he traded 14 years of labor for the privilege of marrying the two daughters... Uh, that should have been headed our way into our children, and they, by the way that it is written, it's clear that they believe that they have come up short with regard to their father Laban in how he's dealt with them. So they say to Jacob, we're separated from him. There isn't anything there to hold us to our father's household, so go, do whatever God has said to you. And so they endorse Jacob following the direction that, that he said came from God to him to head home. They say, let's go, let's do it. So Jacob wastes no time. It says Jacob arose, loaded his children and his wives on camels. He drove his livestock in verse 18, and all the property he had gathered and acquired uh, in the area of Padan Aram, which is the home turf for Laban, and they set out to go to Canaan to his father Isaac. Now, <clears throat> I have had the privilege that I would guess few of you have had. We had a farmer in our area that has prospered greatly. They have quite a bit of holdings up around where I grew up now. They did have then, but it's grown a lot. There were boys a little older than me that grew up to be men, and now they've got farms where, but in the first 15 or so years of my life, they had bet their future on raising sheep. And they would shear them. I never got to go to a shearing, but I 
we drove right by their place all the time where the big sheep herd was and it was very interesting to one day drive by and here are these critters that are bulky and look stout and whatever and the next time they come by and look like shaved dogs <laughs> um, but uh, and it was fun to talk to the, the family I got along well with the family but every so often they would want to sell a fairly large group of them and at that time up in the little community of Zenedale the Rock Island Railroad went through it and they still had loading pens and they actually shipped by rail probably in the 60s early 60s three or four times they lived about five miles from the railroad terminal there and they drove a fairly good sized herd of sheep through the countryside to get there um, it redefined the term rodeo. <laughs> um, I remember one year, I don't know if most of the time it was in the spring or not, I just I wasn't old enough to remember it very well, but there was lots of greenery coming up in the fields that they're driving these sheep, trying to keep them on the roads, on horseback at the time. Later they would use other kinds of, a lot of motorcycles actually. But here they were trying to get this herd of sheep to move through the community about down this five miles to the railroad yards and it, it looked like it started out their intention was to keep them on the roads to keep them out of the fields be kind to the neighbors but by the time they got there the year i remember pretty well it wasn't there was a lot less concern about stay on the road <laughs> keep them out of the fields i don't know how the other farmers reacted i never heard anything about it i wasn't old enough to get in on that but it just became can we figure out how to get these sheep over there we don't care where we have to go. It was something to watch. And I will guarantee you that Jacob's herd was many, many, many times that. So this is not a small undertaking to pick up and move these herds, the families, their servants, and all of their possessions from point A in eastern part of the Middle East back to the area of Canaan. It would have been something to see. Um, now Laban, in the midst of the time they were getting ready to leave, we kind of get a little bit of a backstory. I'm not quite sure exactly the timing here, but clearly it's before they leave. Laban goes out to shear his flock and Rachel gets this bright idea. She stole um, the household idols of her father's. Now this word idol is teraphim. It can be translated idols, it can be translated image. Um, the teraphim were a couple of things typically. Uh, you can't say every time in the scriptures and there are not a lot of times this word is used but uh, often it was uh, something the family would turn to for a means of divination. They would go to it and ask of it and ideas would pop in their heads, whatever. They would worship them at times. They were typically associated with fertility. And without getting into the imagery, the imagery of this idol often was related to fertility kinds of things. And what was Jake, what was Rachel's motive? We don't know. Were they valuable? We don't know. Did she worship them? We don't know. All we know is she considered them something she wanted to leave with. And so she took them. Now, so they, she's taken these idols and they're taking off. And Jacob did it in a manner, depends on what version you read, with either trickery or deception. But he left Laban the Aramean, because he was, means he's from Syria or Aram. And the trickery part was not telling him he was quote, fleeing. The word there used in the leaving has to do with great haste. So he decides, I'm going to make this move quick. I'm not going to tell Laban. I'm not going to get, it. I don't know what he was trying to avoid for sure. We can quickly imagine he wasn't wanting to have another conversation with Laban about staying. He didn't want to have a conversation with Laban about anything he wanted to get. Go back to Genesis 30, 25, and 26. Let's read those for just a moment. Because this is in contrast. The way he left now is in contrast to the way he 
tried to leave when the 14 years was up. Somebody read Genesis 30, 25, and 26 for us. Okay, so this is the normal, socially expected, proper way to leave when you have been enjoying the hospitality or even as a servant in somebody else's dominion for a period of time when it's time to go. The best way to leave the typically expected terms are send me away. In other words, it's kind of like blessing, but, you know, concur with me. It's time to go, so send me on my way. And Jacob didn't allow that opportunity this time. How did it work for him last time? Well, frankly, it worked very well. If he'd have left last time, he'd have left with himself, some children, and some wives, his two wives, but he would not have had all of these goods that God has uh, put upon his uh, uh, himself during this time. So... Um, nonetheless Jacob doesn't want to do it that way this time and he doesn't so he fled he ran he took off with all that he had in verse 21 he arose he crossed the Euphrates River which would be the first major river that he came to and he set his face toward the hill country of Gilead this is a country that is south of Galilee so you've got Galilee north of the Israelite area but it is on the east side of the Jordan. So they haven't crossed the Jordan yet, but they're in next to, across from southern Israel. And so that's where he's headed. Well, three days later, so he's been gone three days, Laban is told that Jacob took off. And so Laban gathered together his kinsmen, his family people, and he pursued Jacob, in verse 23, on a seven days journey and overtook him in where Jacob was headed, the hill country of Gilead. So he's there, he sees Jacob, he knows it's imminent that they will be meeting because he's going to make that happen, but God gets involved in a dream that night to Laban and in the dream God says be careful that you do not speak good or bad to Jacob this is a common expression in that era we believe and it basically says don't try to be an influence on the situation leave it alone with regard to that's the don't speak good and don't speak bad in other words don't encourage them don't discourage them don't try to tell them a better way or try to use some sort of other kind of influence, even force, to change what's going on. So in essence, what God does here is leave Jacob in the driver's seat on how Jacob chooses to respond to whatever comes up and whatever the circumstances are, including the meeting with Laban. And this meeting with Jacob is really revealing. But Laban catches up with him in verse 25. And Jacob has pitched his tent in the hill country. And Laban also has camped in this same general area. So in verse 26, Laban gets to Jacob. And he starts out in an accusatory nature. What have you done? You deceived me. You carried away my daughters like captives of the sword. What is the apparent assumption of Laban here with regard to his daughters being on this journey with Jacob? Yeah, we would use the term kidnapped, right? You took them by force. You know, they're under duress. They're unwilling travelers. And so he says, you know, you, you, you did this secretly and deceptively in verse 27. And you also kept me from having my joy. That's not the way he says it, but that's the way I'm characterizing it. 
from giving you a send-off party. Um, and you kept me from kissing my sons and daughters. That would be a good way to say grandchildren. So here's Laban catching up with Jacob and go, what is up with you? You kidnapped my daughters because surely as my own daughters, they wouldn't want to go. I mean, that's kind of implied in the background. And you didn't let me kiss my grandchildren, let me say goodbye. I would have had a big party for you. We would have made this a grand event. And he winds up saying, you have done foolishly. Well, <clears throat> that's not all he says. In verse 29, he goes on and says, I have the power to do you harm. I'm the superior one here. You really should have given me the superior role in your leaving, of sending you off and doing all these things, and I could come out here and just take everything back and go home. That's essentially what he's saying. I can turn you around and you'll be back working for me and probably for a lot less wages. <laughs> but the God of your father spoke last night, and that's an interesting, he, he didn't, he's not looking at Jehovah at this point as a God that is common to all of them. It's subtle, but in other places, he has acted like Jehovah is the one true God, or at least the superior God. This time, he's kind of putting some distance between he and Jehovah God, and he says, the God, your, the God of your father told me, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. So what he just said with all that is, I could do whatever I wanted. I've got the power. I'm in charge. But God told me not to, so we're going to not go down that path. Uh, in verse 30, then, Laban assigns motive to Jacob's trip. Now, you've gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. So, is that a true statement? Is that why Jacob took off? No. Do we know he did not long for his father's house? No. As a matter of fact, he probably did at some point. But what other motives that probably, that should be even greater, have sent him away? <coughs> What's the main motives for him going? God told him to. We could go back and look at verses 1 through 3, and we would see that God indeed instructed Jacob, it's time to go. We started out in our introduction to Jacob and Esau and so on and saying he was kind of mama's boy, and I don't know that we should go so far as to say it means he wasn't a, a forceful man or, or, or anything like that, but he hung around the house while Esau went to the fields. It does seem like in Jacob's interactions with Laban, he put up with a lot without any recorded response. I mean, if Laban was changing the wages ten times, some men might have said, what was wrong with the first deal you made? You know? I stayed based on what you said then. I'm not playing this game. Well, Jacob played the game. Jacob kind of let Laban run over him for a long time. So maybe, maybe Jacob wasn't real strong in his dealings with men. We really don't know. But Laban assigns this motive to Jacob. You went away because you just wanted to go home and see your dad, which might have been, in Laban's eyes, a, one of the better reasons that he could assign to Jacob for going. But he finishes verse 30 with, But why did you steal my gods? Now, Jacob answers the first question first. He goes back to, why did you do this in the middle of the night kind of a thing? Why, why did you skip town, so to speak? And Jacob said, because I was afraid. <coughs> I thought, Jacob had just said, or Laban had just said he had the power to do this. I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. I was in, basically, he said, I thought you'd rob me. If I got away, I figured I'd have to leave everything here. Didn't intend to do that. I was taking my wives my children, and my stuff, and I was going. Then Jacob goes on to do something that um, we could talk about a little bit and will before we're done. Uh, he says, the one found with your gods will not live. What did Jacob just say? 
whoever took your gods will be put to death. There's probably a good lesson for us in that. We think we know the people around us. Sometimes we even are surprised we think we know ourselves. Sin creeps into life, doesn't it? We, we ought to not be too quick to be too sure of maybe even ourselves at times, but certainly of everybody else around us in their ability to sin. Because I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that if Rachel had been discovered in this process, Jacob would have greatly regretted this statement. But he said, because I think he thought, we don't know for sure, but I think he thought, well, nobody took the, took the gods. If they did, it's probably a servant or something. And so he thought it was, apparently he thought it was small risk to say that. And he says, so in the presence of our kinsmen, show me what's yours among my possessions and take it. Now what's this bit about among the kinsmen? He has set the kinsmen in a place of being monitors, of being judges in a sense, not judges in terms of passing judgment, but judges in the sense of keeping it upright, straightforward, bring the kinsmen out, let's do this in front of them, let's not be secretive about it, let's not set up some strange deal, let's be very open and visible as we go through this. Now, of course, Jacob didn't know that he had put Rachel um, in a difficult situation potentially because she was the one that had, had stolen them. So in verses 33 through 40, 35, here's what we see. We see Laban doing a search. He starts with Jacob's tent. He goes to Leah's tent, which is interesting. Why wasn't he over in the servants' areas? Why is the order of all the tents he could have searched and all the goods he could have gone through, Jacob, Leah, and then the two maids, and then Rachel? He really thought someone in that circle would be the ones where he would find it. Could it also be that they, they were family gods and so they were connected? Connected to the family? Absolutely. There's a lot of reasons he might have thought that. It wouldn't have to be all character issues. But he, he thought they were, they were the place to start. And maybe he had to do that first just to show proper decorum. You know, Red, I, I guess I read a note, uh, I think it was a MacArthur note, that said that possibly those gods represented Well, that's interesting. I didn't run into that one. I yeah. obviously didn't read all of MacArthur's notes on this one, yeah. but yeah. Um, hmm, that's interesting. Very well could have been. I mean, they they were considered pretty central to the family and their their cohesiveness. Um, but Rachel had them. She'd hidden them in the saddle of the camel, and so here comes Laban doing all of the searching. He's come out of her tent and apparently was headed to her on the camel. And she stopped Laban when she says, may, may the Lord not be angry with me. She means Laban. You're the boss man here. May you as boss man not be mad at me. But I can't get up. And she pointed to the, that she was in her menstrual cycle, which just by the way it's all said here, that appears that was probably an untruth. It was her way of protecting her position and keeping under, uh, being hidden than these idols. So now the idols are not found. And Jacob gets angry. What is my sin? What have I done? What do you have? Did you find, what did you find that was stolen? Why did you pursue me so hotly trying to get property back but I did not do it. So here he's in kind of a righteous indignation. You came in here accusing, and we just proved your accusations were false. Uh, and then he get, lets loose some long-term frustration. I worked for you 20 years. Uh, in that time, your ewes and your goats birthed well. They had many offspring. They didn't have miscarriages and that kind of a thing. And I didn't even eat your rams. Uh, I think what Jacob is saying here, I ate from my own flock. And he said, the ones that were harmed by wild animals, 
I took those losses out of my side of this equation and left you without any of those losses. And at first that sounds like Jacob was being really kind or considerate or honoring to Laban. But then he goes on to say, you expected that of me. You required that of me, that I would take all the risk. And so here I am out there tending your flocks, taking care of your stuff day and night. I froze in the night and I cooked in the day. And I lost my sleep for you. I took care of your things with great effort. In verse 41, he continues with, I spent 20 years in your house. You can just tell this is kind of, I've had enough of you. 14 years for the two daughters and then six for your flock. And in that 20 years, you changed my wages 10 times. And so he unloaded on Laban. And in verse 42, he goes on to say, he refers to the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, you would have sent me away with nothing. And it's interesting words he uses here. The God of Abraham, we know he's talking about Jehovah, right? Mm -hmm. And the God of my father, that was before that, that's Isaac, right? So those are clear references to, to Jehovah. What's this, and the fear of Isaac? What is going on with that term? Anybody have any thoughts? I'm not trying to stump you, but maybe you've read something or better than what I came up with. Respect. What's that? Respect. Respect. It's relational. Now, um, don't know what Jacob had a chance to see out of his grandfather Abraham, but when he talks about the fear of Isaac, it is the fear of Jehovah. It is this highly respective relationship that Isaac had with Jehovah, with God, that Jacob recognizes was real. It was relational. Yes, sir. Well, and it is. Yeah. I mean, that fear, it, it's not just, yeah, I mean, I worked for people at times that were very powerful and got into situations where things needed to go well or things were probably going to be terrible for me. I had fear of them, right? I mean, I had respect. But this is different. This is, this is um, a fear that is godly. It is toward God. It was recognizing the greatness of God and the person of God. And so uh, he's already said, the God of my father Isaac. But when he gets to the fear, he's, he's pointing out that this God is really, it's one way of saying probably the one true God. He isn't just a God like you set on a shelf. This is a God that is God in all that you can say about his majesty, about his attributes, about his power, about his dominion. And so um, he says, if it wasn't for these factors, in other words, if it wasn't for this active God that actually did things in the world and blessed me, you'd have sent me away with nothing. So uh, he said, God has seen the affliction from you and my toil of my hands, and he passed judgment last night. He told you, back off. Don't get involved in a directive way. And of course, Laban responds to that very well. No, not really. In verse 43, does Laban acknowledge Jacob's place in all of this? I mean, he validates what Jacob said he was afraid of. Laban says, these daughters are my daughters. What happened to the 14 years of effort? These children are my children. You know, Jacob's looking here going, I father these children with my wives. These flocks are my flocks. What happened to the deal we made? 
All you see is mine. Laban says, I'm it. You're nothing. All the stuff is mine. And so he makes this grand verbal, I'm it. I'm the man here. You're just a so-so. But then he goes on and says, but what can I do to my daughters and children? So then he turns around and says, it's only circumstances that are saving you because I'm really the great one here. And Jacob really doesn't respond to that. Laban keeps on going in the account here. He says, let's make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between you and me, something that stands up that will is the way which we can judge our behaviors and our commitment to one another. And so Jacob goes over and takes a stone and makes it in, and sets it up to be a pillar. So that's Jacob's monument, if you will, to this covenant that's coming. And then Jacob says to the kinsmen, to the people around there, gather stones, make a heap. And so they make a heap. And that's, that's a term that means something. That word heap gets translated in English heap, and we just think it was a pile, right? But that word heap is, a, is, is something that is more like a monument. So they make a pile of stones as a monument, and they ate by the heap. This is the beginning of sealing this agreement. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, which means gathering or witness head or heap of witnesses. It's got witness tied up in it, and it's got heap tied up in it. Jacob called it Galid, which just means heap. And Laban then says, this heap is a witness between you and me today. And so, therefore, it was named Galid. Now, in verse 49, Laban's still talking, and he says, and Mizpah, which means watchtower. So they give it this role of watching between them as being the, the, in the place of, based on this covenant and these monuments toward our covenant it, it move, becomes the place of the judgment method between them the watch between them and he says it's going to exist even when we're absent from each other and he's a little bit threatening in verse 50 if you mistreat my daughters or take other wives no man it, even though no man can see it god is a witness between you and me so now he's invoking god in this witnessing. And then Laban goes on to talk about uh, Ab the God of Abraham and Nahor and Terah. And that is interesting because what he's doing is every time Jacob talks about God, it's the God of Abraham and Isaac and the fear of Isaac. Now Laban starts talking about, well, let's not leave my part of the family out. So he goes back to Abraham, which would be, of course, Isaac's father. Then he goes to his own father, Nahor, and to Terah, which would be Abraham's brother or father. And so he's, he's trying to bring them in. When it's pretty clear from what we studied in Genesis, God started working primarily with Abraham. Now, we don't know that Terah was not brought into that as a God worshiper. We don't know how Nahor reacted to that. But clearly, the person of promise is Abraham. But here's Laban out there dragging all of his ancestors into it as well. And in verse 51, Laban says to Jacob, Behold this heap and behold the pillar I have set between you and me. Now, you weren't by yourself in doing this, Laban. But anyway, Laban's still grandiose about himself. And he keeps talking. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to do you harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. And as Laban keeps talking, he says the God of Abraham, of Nahor, and the God of their father, which is what I referenced earlier, between us, and he's pushing to equate all three. And Jacob swore then by the fear of his father Isaac, which is, sway, which is swearing by God, which is invoking God in it, but I think it's in a way that is different than Laban. Do you think Laban's really afraid of Jehovah? Do you think Jacob is? And afraid's probably the wrong word, but fear in the sense of respect, understanding he lives under the direction of Jehovah, 
and under the judgment of Jehovah and is the recipient of the promise of Jehovah. And so they're, they're very different in what they're approaching, but that's what Jacob invoked to say, I'm being truthful here and I agree to this covenant. In verse 54, then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain or on the hill country that they were there and called his kinsmen to the meal. They ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. This is the sealing of the covenant. So it's over between Laban and Jacob. Laban gets up early, kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them and went back where he belonged. Now, that's not exactly the way it says, but went back home. And so when we look at this, we go, well, so what, you know, there, there are things, there are things we, can, we can learn from these kinds of accounts besides the fact of it's just very interesting history to me. I like history, and I, I like looking at how these things came together. But when you see these two people, you see people living their lives from an entirely different perspective. You see Jacob being directed by God, following the instructions of God. God is visiting him with the dreams. God is giving that direction, and he lives it out by staying with Laban for this 20 years, and in that, God, God blesses Jacob. You know, it, it's playing what-if games is, can be actually, I think, often um, offensive to God. There is no what-ifs with God. God is sovereign, and there is one pattern of events that God has ordained. God was not surprised he went to Laban. God was not surprised that he worked for Laban and stayed. Uh, it isn't that God, that, Jacob, that God wished Jacob had left and he didn't, but God worked through these events. And as God worked through these events, he blessed the one he wanted to bless. And here's Laban, who is sensible enough to see God is blessing Jacob. He said so when he asked Jacob to stay on to tend to the flocks. And when Jacob gets ready to leave, does he say, I need to leave so I can be more powerful, so I can show my authority, so I can live out some, domin some, domin some uh, yeah, dominion over these people and over the land? No, he leaves. What it's verbalized is, God has told me that it's time to go. And it's pretty obvious looking at the circumstances that I'm faced with. During the time that Jacob was tending Laban's flocks, if God had so desired, could he have blessed both Jacob and Laban? Yeah. Would have been no extra work from God's perspective. These things are all easy. But here's Laban, who sees Jacob's being blessed. And instead of saying to Jacob, how do I know the God you know? How do I have the blessing you're having? Now, could he have? I don't know what God would. So you remember what effing. I don't know how God would have responded to that. But Laban, out of who he was and his own spiritual state, tried to manipulate what God was doing with Jacob to his own ends. And I don't know what Laban really believed when he met up with Jacob. Did he really believe he had the power to do harm to Jacob? I kind of doubt if he believed that. Otherwise, why would he have worried what God said? He, he wasn't a God follower from what we can see anywhere else. But he had to have that posture. He had to be somebody. Jacob has just spent 20 years being a servant. Now, honoring God in doing so, and certainly being shrewd about it, and God was blessing him, and he made some deals that um, feel odd out of the box, and he had some strategies that certainly favored himself, but nonetheless, they approached this time of coming together very differently. Jacob was there out of his power, I mean out of God's power, and Laban was there out of his own power. And, you know, there's just a lot of things to recognize about how God takes care of his own. 
Do his own suffer sometimes? Yeah, this probably wasn't an easy 20 years for Jacob. We, we suffer. Sometimes we suffer with illness. Sometimes we suffer with difficulties. Sometimes we suffer with relational issues. I mean, we suffer. What is the source of suffering? Well, we could read in the New Testament or in the Old Testament that it is a curse. You know, our ancestors started it and we perpetuated it. Done our best to stay sinful in some respects. We succumb to it. We're tempted. We fall to temptation at times. This is a this is a cursed world. Um, and so that's there. But nonetheless, God took care of Jacob. And God took care of Jacob in telling Laban, leave it alone, go home. And so that's there. Questions, comments, thoughts? Yes. Well, it could have been that Jacob was seeking some level of purity within his own group. If we've got a thief among us, let's get rid of it. I'm not saying that's impossible, but the language of it and his anger toward Laban, I think, tells us he didn't expect him to find anything. So that's an interesting question, and I'll tell you what I did to answer it for myself. Because I had this vague memory of something I had read or heard as a child. So I did a word search on Rachel. Nothing else comes up that I could find. So if there were consequences in, in this life or in judgment to come, I couldn't find anything scripturally to back that up. Uh, does sin have consequences? It always has consequences. We would never want to say sin doesn't affect us. But I could find nothing scripturally that would tell me that there was some something with regard to Rachel. This is just an observation, but Laban instituted that setting up of the hen pen, and then Jacob did the pillows. Mm -hmm. I just seem to parallel Jacob as one. The, the thing that I think made these things most significant to the people directly involved were the fact that they were, they were saying, let God judge us. And I think the commitment, the in front of God part of the commitment, <coughs> I, I, I can't help but think both Jacob and Laban are in close proximity to a time of dreams where they were giving messages from God. Uh, the angel that's talked about with regard to Jacob before they're done, that term angel is messenger, it turns out God himself was the messenger because he said, I am the God uh, of, the, of the previous dream. So he's saying, you're, you're dealing with God here. I think both of them uh, would have been hesitant to do anything. I think that was more significant than the pillar or the, or the heap, but I think that pillar and heap, both of them were saying, I got a commitment here. I can't. I can't ignore this commitment. It's got to be. So, but but you're right. I mean, these things were made. There was there were there were the stones that were set up at times, like when they crossed the Jordan, and and uh, other things that seemed to be quickly forgotten by the people that should have remembered them the quickest. So, well, let me close with prayer. We're a little bit over. Father, thank you for. Um, revealing to us how you worked in Jacob's life and uh, ordered the events of his finding wives and going back to Canaan and uh, at least starting on the journey. Uh, Lord, let us realize very quickly that we go about our lives saying, I'm going to do thus and so, but you really are the one that orders our steps, that apart from your blessing, um, our labors are fruitless and pointless. 
Let us be constantly turning to you for direction and for understanding. And also, Lord, let us live with confidence that you are, you are guiding us and trust you with faith to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray.